message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokea Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7009-1000. Our scripture reading. You have your Bibles there. Go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 3 down to verse 10 together. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3 down to verse 10. If you're struggling to find Ecclesiastes, just look for Proverbs. Go a little bit further to the right. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all, yea, also the heart of the sons of man is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But to him that is joined to all the living there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Living joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all thy days of the life of thy vanity, which hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life, and in thy, in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. Let me find it, that's all it works. The last Sunday of 2021. I think it's an amen on many, many levels. But... If, we, if we're honest and real, um, just as a psalm tells us that this is the day the Lord hath made, we can say with confidence that all 365 days of 2021 were the days which the Lord hath made. And he made us for this time. It wasn't for another generation. It was for us. And how we handled up to this point and the rest of this year is, are going to be our testimony in church history. Uh, not just the history of the world, but in church history. God put us here for such a time. I, I cannot say it's been totally enjoyable. Um, none of us, I think, can. Uh, if you had the virus or you had the jab or you had quarantine or you had, there's just been so many things that were like, these are not the way people are supposed to conduct their lives. But it still remains that God chose us for this time. Um, I, I saw a meme this week. It scared me. They said, do you realize that the new year can be pronounced 2020 
two, as in also. I was like, <laughs> like it's 2020 again. But I'm not going to look at it that way. I'm going to look at it as 2022, and God gave us that year. And we do pray that there will be significant changes. Um, things will happen. I pray for the end of the pandemic, as I hope that you do. Um, you can do that. You're like, what if it's God will that it continues? Then he lets it continue. But I would rather be found in the camp of those that pray that it would end, that we might be able to do ministry more uh, the way we're accustomed to do it. But if not, give us more ideas. Show us how to do with what we have. When this popped on the screen, I'm like, it just it looked as scary as it does on my paper. <laughs> dead lions. I thought about finding a picture of a dead lion. I actually found one. It was a picture of a rug that they'd, somebody had shot the lion and they turned it into a carpet. And I was like, that's just too creepy. <laughs> and um, But the topic, as Brother Phil read you this morning, um, if you don't mind me rereading verses 3 and 4 of Ecclesiastes 9, this is an evil among all things that are done under the sun. There is one event to all. He's speaking of death. He said, yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. And the comparison that Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, puts, he said, for to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. Everyone in this room, everyone watching this um, by means of video is joined to the living. Dead people don't watch videos. Dead people don't sit in church. I'm talking about physically dead. This is what he's talking about. And then he makes this comparison. A living dog is better than a dead lion. As a Bible translator, I, I counted joy to be able to spend a lot of my time with my face in the text and looking at things. But I, I, I know this. Jesus said that, that every idle word which man shall speak, he'll give an account to God for it. Well, if he's that concerned about every idle word, then he too must be concerned about no idle words in the scripture. And when I come to this here, he's like talking about living dogs and dead lions. And it, it stuck with me many years ago. What is he? Okay, a dead lion. I mean, in Proverbs, he wrote that the, that the lion is the, is the strongest of beasts and turns not away from any. But here he mentions a dead lion. It just stuck in my mind. And then I actually, reading through scripture, found there are several stories of dead lions in scripture and I began to think what what do they have to do with well in scripture dogs are despised perhaps the dog referred to here is a shepherd's dog still despised people didn't like dogs they didn't keep them for pets like we do maybe Solomon did in his palace he had greyhounds according to Proverbs but dogs are just despised animals but he makes the comparison that a dog that is alive is better off than a lion that is dead. Now, a lion that is dead is dead. I don't care what he did before he died. He does nothing now. He's dead. You don't walk up on the carcass of a dead lion and go, ah, run, the lion's going to get me. He's dead. He's not going anywhere. My grandmother once, she wasn't too much for dogs. She had a cat. But cats just are not that thing to protect your house. And they were having break-ins in her neighborhood. And... Uh, she had this brilliant idea. She bought this giant cement dog, a Doberman, like diesel, made out of cement, and she put him in the middle of her living room facing the one window where you came in the door. No noise, no anything. And her thought was that if old rascal come, now spy the window. They're just looking at this dog, staring right back at them, and she thought they would leave him alone. But he was a dead dog. He was a cement dog. He, 
He isn't going to do anything. If you go ahead and come through the window, he's just going to look at you. But my focus here is, is what, what do I see in, in common in these stories of dead lions? And this is it. That he was a lion, but now he's dead. In other words, all of his strength, everything he's ever done is only a memory. It's only a memory. And when I compare these stories that we'll look at this morning, I think you'll realize what I'm getting at this morning, that 2021 is a dead lion. And your life is a dead lion. But the point that I want you to get is, how do you use that? So let's pray, and we'll take a look at some dead lions. Father, it is of thy mercies, Lord, that we have in any way, shape, or form enjoyed this year. We have enjoyed fellowship with family and friends perhaps in the last couple of days for the holiday, and we're so thankful for the incarnation of Christ and Christmas and what that means. But Lord, as we look at just the last few days of this year, this year is not over, and there are decisions that we could even make today that might impact not just the next year, but even the days to come. But Lord, would you move in our hearts this morning as we look at um, this reference from Solomon about dead lions and the lessons that we can learn from a few dead lions in Scripture. Lord, please, we want to be transformed for thee. Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, Christmas is nothing but to put your faith and trust in Christ, is to be born again, and how important that is. But Lord, today, would you move in our midst? Thank you for the opportunity to be here to fellowship together in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you first the first story of a dead lion. You're probably familiar with it. Judges chapter 14. Judges, the book of Judges chapter 14. Judges is a story of uh, 14, is the story of Samson, the biggest successful failure in the Bible. He gets all the Sunday school time for the kids for being the mighty man. He is a failure all the way around, only because God brings him out in the hall of faith just by mentioning his name. Do we even know that anything he did is redeemed? Even in his death when he brought down 3,000 Philistines, he said, do this for my eyes, God. He is a very self-centered individual, and the Spirit of God had, had prophesied, I'm going to use this guy, and he uses him in spite of all of his errors, not because of them. But in the very beginning of, of Samson's life, in chapter 14, we find Samson violating both the law of, of, of his vow and the law of Israel. Samson was, was prophesied to be born and to keep for his entire life the most strict vow in Scripture called the Nazarite vow. It's found in the book of Numbers. And that vow included things like, wait for it, Samson, not cutting your hair. But it also included never touching anything having to do with grapes. That's anything from the grape itself, the vine, trimming the vines, drinking wine, none of that. None of that in in his life. Um, And the third thing, never touching dead bodies. Like if your family member died and you are under the Nazarite vow, somebody else has to do the house cry stuff. You cannot come close to it. You can't carry them, put them in the ground. Nope, as a Nazarite. You could break the vow, but you would have to start all over again. And part of that vow is when you have finished the vow, you cut off all of your hair. So this was men too. And these guys, you know, long progress. They could, Samson was known for his hair. That was his Nazarite vow. His Nazarite vow allowed him to cut it. But every time he broke the vow, which is no less than three times in the Bible, he should have been cutting his hair. If you remember at the end of his life, the Philistines cut it for him. God said, you have broken this vow too many times, 
You won't cut it. You won't start over again. I'll cut your hair. But that's for a different day. This is the first time we see him flagrantly breaking his Nazarite vow. Chapter 14. He's breaking the law of God. Israelites were only to marry Israelites. That was just God's order. But verse 1 of chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnath. That's a town belonging to Philistia. And he saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. By the way, that's Samson's problem all the way through, is women. So he sees this this girl, this lady. Verse 2, he came up and told his father and mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Me like Imamnah. I want this one. And the the story continues. They're like, wait a second, son. You're not supposed to marry outside of Israel. There's millions of Israelite people, thousands and thousands of girls your age, plenty to choose from. And he's like, no, I want this woman. Well, she's a Philistine. They're not supposed to marry like that. She would lead him away into idolatry. He doesn't care. Come down to verse 5. So they're, they're going to go get him, this woman, to be his wife. Verse 5, then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards, that's where you grow grapes, of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. This is his first power miracle that he does. And it says, verse 6, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, Samson, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. Old English word rent, meaning ripped. He ripped the lion. He didn't just fight it, punch it, knock it down, stab it with his knife. He ripped it. Now, I don't know. Did he rip the jaws open and break it? Did he actually break the lion in half? But the term rent means he ripped the lion. That's a pretty powerful dude. He rent him as if he would rent a kid, a small goat. And he had nothing in his hand. That's barehanded. But he told not his father or mother what he had done. So, okay, he kills the lion. It's okay, except the problem is he's wandered off from his parents and he's in the vineyard. He knows he's not supposed to be in a vineyard because of his personal vow that God, had, an angel, had told his parents he keeps this vow. I don't know why his parents didn't stop him and say, son, you know you're not supposed to be in the vineyard. Get out. And you know how we are. We're indestructible when we're young. Oh, no, I can walk right through this vineyard and not get on any of those leaves because I'm just, I'm Samson. Vineyards glow close to close to. You're walking through there, you're going to brush the leaves. He would do that. You're like, why was this vow so strict? Because there's only one person that ever kept it. Jesus. You're like, is he a Nazarite? I think so. Because if there's anything in the law, he fulfilled all points of the law. I think only one of them ever did. You're like, but he had the wine. Mm, Did he ever drink it? You're like, well, he made the water into wine. Oh, was it made from grapes or from water? Just my point is, Samson continually, flagrantly flaunts against the law of God. And for parents, can I tell you this? Your kids are doing things you have no idea. You're like, oh, not my little innocent boy and girl. Come on, think what you did that you didn't tell mom and dad. Here he is. He's grown. He's ready to get married. He is flagrantly going against the law of God. But he kills this lion. Now, remember, the the Nazarite vow had three things. Don't cut your hair. Don't mess with anything having to do with grapevines or grapes. And don't touch dead bodies. Why don't we come down to verse 8. After a time, he, Samson, returned to take this girl to marry her. And he turned aside. He goes back into the the vineyard to see the carcass of the lion, the dead body of the lion. He goes back to see it. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. 
But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. I think that would have been enough for everybody not to eat it. But he wanted to, now this is normal. Boys, I know I raised four boys, right? If there's an animal, it's dying, it's rotting somewhere. They had to go look at it. They had to get a stick and poke it. They had to, you know. He's a young guy. He's like, hey, I killed that lion. I wonder what it looks like. It's been here for a few weeks. And so he wanders back into the vineyard, and it's still there. Nobody has moved it. And look at this. Bees have come and put honey on the inside. And because he is a man driven by his lusts, I like honey. doesn't matter it's inside a dead carcass, and I'm not supposed to be around dead carcasses. Sub shoots his hand inside the thing and just pulls out a load of honey and rips the honeycomb off, and he's eating it. And he goes and catches up with his parents. And I don't know if his dad goes, Samson, I told you, you're not supposed to be in the vineyard. He's like, here, Dad, here's honey. And then his dad's quiet. He's like, oh, this is delicious. If you knew where I got that honey, you wouldn't eat it. But you see, he's flagrant about breaking all of these Nazarite vows because Samson is not focused on God. What lesson can we learn from this? The memories from a sin, our sinful past can control our present. From this point on, Samson is against God in, in his conduct. He should be exemplary. He should be a leader in Israel. He's not. He's a judge. I don't even know how effective he was as a judge because he was so adamantly opposed to keeping this particular law that an angel had come to his parents and said, he's going to do this. The eyes of the Lord, Solomon wrote in Proverbs, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and good. Everything Solomon did, God knew about it. Everything Solomon wanted to do, Solomon or God knew about it. And, and, and Samson, in his sins, he's continually covering his tracks. But he that covers his sins, what? Shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. If you look back over 2021 and maybe your whole life, we all have regrets. We've got things in our past, but in some cases we've not forsaken those. We're not fighting against them. And the sins from our past control us. And those memories, those failures, keep us from moving ahead. We, we let our past rule us. How many times do we go back and relive the sin? Like you're not doing it physically, but you're playing it over in your mind. Whatever it was that you did that was wrong, you're reliving the sin in your mind. Or you are refusing to repent of it. You're like, I know this is wrong, but I can't give it up, and so I'm not going to give it up. And it's controlling your, your, your present. We're talking about Christians here. Now, if you're not saved, you have no power to overcome sin. Zero. You can turn over a brand new leaf, as they say, on January 1st, and, and one minute later, there's nothing happened. Why? Because there's nothing in here to make that change. The change has got to come from the Holy Spirit working in you. God gave us the Holy Spirit as believers to be that constant broom, that constant thing to awake and alert our minds to the presence of sin in our lives. And if we shut that off, there's no way to deal with anything. If you're not a believer, there's no Holy Spirit to correct you, to bring you in that. Sometimes our problem is we believe the lie that there can be no forgiveness. You don't know what I've done. I can say this. You don't know the mercy of God. There is no place you have gone that Christ cannot pull you out of. There is no sin that you've committed that he won't do. You're like, what about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? 
That's very simple. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is telling Jesus no. Saying that the work of God is the work of the devil. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you can turn that one around by saying, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I need you. We Christians don't say that enough. We Christians don't fight for our time with Jesus like we should. We actually take it for granted like Samson. Hey, I'm in the family. I've trusted Christ. And every sin we do, we just let them pile up. And they just keep piling and piling. And then we wonder why. Why don't I have any joy when I want to read the scriptures? Why don't I have any joy when I'm singing these songs? Why why don't I have any joy when it's time to go to church and I really don't want to go? It could be that like Samson, you've been dragging yourself through the vineyards and you've been sticking your hand in the carcass of a dead lion. And you need, to, you need to stop it. Paul, Paul reminds us that in Christ, we are not defined by our past. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that sin you keep playing over in your mind, you don't have to. Romans 6, he would tell us, put it away. Get rid of it. But this, this week when I, I was preaching the camp in Baimuru, I hit those kids with this truth. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 where Paul says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? We were talking about you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again to enter the kingdom. But Paul said, The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, that's sexual sin, nor idolaters, God gammon, or adulterers, sexual sin between married people, or effeminate, homosexuality, or abusers of themselves with mankind, those, those who would uh, sorcery, accusation-related violence. People that do these things, he said, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, those people that would shake their fist at God, extortioners, those who would steal from others by, by crooked means. None of those people, Paul said, shall inherit the kingdom of God, but this is the best part. And such were some of you. The were is Christ has come. And I was this guy, and wow, I'm I'm guilty of that one, and I'm guilty of that one, and and this list comes down. But when I put my faith in Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. And so Paul's emphasis to these Corinthians in probably the most wicked city of the Roman Empire, he said, such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified. You are made a saint. As a translator, I love seeing the word sanctified. It's the verb part that says you're made a saint. You don't get a halo on your head, praise God. You don't need that. You are completely sanctified in the sight of God. You're washed, you're sanctified, and you are justified. God has put you back in a right relationship with himself through the blood of Christ. Christian, you were this, so you don't have to wallow in that stuff anymore. It's in your mind. You can fight it. God, I don't want to think about that anymore. What you think about, you will work out with your hands. You will work out with your feet. You will work out with your body. You will work out with your mouth. What is going on in here? We don't want to be a Samson. We don't want to be controlled by that past. The blood of Jesus, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and praise God to cleanse us from not most of it, all of it, all of it. You're like, but you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do. I'm in the same kind of body. And it's a fight, but praise God, there is victory. And two, can I say this? Some of you, 
some of us, maybe many of us, have had things done to us, and those things bother our past. I was in this situation, and this happened to me, or I was this, and maybe anything. I don't want to limit it. Know this. That's past. And you're not a victim in Jesus. God, John doesn't write, we are more than victims in Christ. Paul doesn't say, you, you know, we have the victory. We have the victory. No, we have the victory. And what do you do? You just have to claim it. You just have to keep going back to that truth. Samson, at any time, could have stopped and read numbers. It was already written. He could have read that and said, you know what, Dad? This really does say, I'm supposed to keep this. Dad, I'm sorry. Let's cut my hair. I want to start over. But he didn't. He just kept wandering through vineyards, eating out of dead lions, fornicating with every woman he could get his eyes on because he refused to acknowledge the truth. And we, as Christians, all we have to do is acknowledge it. Like, I keep hearing this preached, or I keep reading this, or I, keep, I hear it in a song. Grab the truth and put it in your heart and say, God, this is the way I want to live because that's where victory comes. I can't do it. God can't use me. God won't forgive me. All you wind up doing is spending your whole life paying for sin that you let run your life. It's a dead lion. If you're a Christian, it has no power. Its teeth are useless. Mary Magdalene, aren't you glad that she had victory over seven devils? Jesus cast them out. Do you think the devil left her alone? I wouldn't doubt that her whole life she was plagued by demons trying to get back in. You say, why? Because I know the sins that I try to fight against in my life, and they keep coming back. My weaknesses, God knows my, God knows my weaknesses, Satan knows my weaknesses, those things. She, I believe that lady fought her whole life, but she was delivered. Matthew had to get victory over everybody in the world calling him a publican. You're like, oh, he was a publican, he's a tax collector. You have no idea. This isn't somebody that works for IRC. This is a cheater who sold himself, paid to become a Roman tax collector, paid the Romans, and then took money from his own people, and then increased the taxes whenever he felt like it because he had a Roman soldier that could get the money for him. They hated him. He becomes a disciple of Jesus. They hated him, even as a disciple. Why? Because I remember how much money it cost our home, it cost our fields, it cost my fishing business, it cost... Listen, these guys knew what it was like to really struggle, but to walk in victory. Peter had to get victory over denying Jesus. How many times did people repeat that story to him? Who are you to preach today at Pentecost? Two months ago, you just told everybody you didn't know who Jesus was. He had victory. He had to live. I know that was my past. It's not now. I'm not going to let it control it. Thomas, having victory over his lack of faith. Paul, over the constant burden that he carried of how many Christians he was guilty of their death. As he preached the gospel, sometimes in the very churches he persecuted. You can either live in defeat with the memories of the past, or you can give it to Jesus. God's mercies, listen, I love what Lamentation says. It doesn't say his mercies are new every January 1st. <laughs> oh, next year by me, make him all same. Hey. Fooey, start today. Yes. Before you walk out the door, in your heart, I'm going to start new now. His mercies are new every morning. There's another lion. Just look at 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. I'm sorry, 23. Even though I'm wearing eyeglasses, the lights reflect and I can't see my nose. 2 Samuel 23. 
One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible because of the military stories in it. And I just, I can't wait to get to heaven to see the whole video. I just got to see how it went. But I just want to talk about one guy, Beniah. I have a wonderful grandson named Beniah. In verse 20, he's one of David's mighty men. Beniah, the son of Joyada, verse 20. The son of a valiant man of Kabzeel who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. I don't know what a lion-like man looks like, but I think that's pretty scary. I don't know if he wore a helmet that had teeth. I, I don't know. They were pretty bad dudes. But him killing two of them makes it to the Bible. Other guys kill 800 people. He kills two. and Those two make it to the Bible. But he doesn't just kill lion-like men. It says he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian. And he slew the Egyptian by taking the spear away from the Egyptian and killing him with his own weapon. He is one bad dude. He actually becomes Solomon's uh, head, head of his army. He will, he will be Solomon's head of the army. He's a pretty bad dude. But he kills the lion in the pit in the midst of snow. I, I, I'm just trying to envision this. There's some questions. Number one, what are you doing in a pit when it's snow on the ground with a lion? Did you... <laughs> hey, there's a lion and he's in the pit. I'm going to go down there. (laughs) Or is he walking along, goofing off, and he slips and falls into the pit, and then he can't get his buddies to get him out. They're not around, and then the lion falls in too, or the lion fall in first and he fell. All I know is this. Benaiah's in the pit. It's snow. Snow means slippery. You're not getting out. He looks at the lion and makes one decision. One of us is going out of here alive, and it's not you. And in the pit, in the snow, in the cold, he's fighting for his life, and he whips a lion and climbs out of the pit. I mean, this is the story that the rest of his life. Are there scars on his face? You know, he's, the, he's going to be the general of the Israeli army at its peak under Solomon. I don't know. But can you imagine, every time they'd see him, it'd be like, it's a lion. Punched it right in the face. He was just like, now Brother Phil can relate to this. Not to fighting lions in a pit, I hope. But if you hang around soldiers, old soldiers, the ones who don't say anything are the ones with the stories. The quiet ones. And the guys that talk all the time didn't do squat. It's the truth. It's the truth. I had guys that told stories, and you'd hear it the first time as a young private. You're just like, wow. And they're telling everybody the story around the lunch table. And you're like, wow, all my trainers were Vietnam vets. They'd just come back from Vietnam. They're just telling all these stories. And it would be like, wow. But then the problem was like three weeks later, I'd hear the same story. And then I'm realizing I'm hearing the same story. Like there's this one thing that happened to you in Vietnam in your six months. And, and you've got to tell that story. My favorite story wasn't a guy showing how brave he was. It was my platoon sergeant. He was a monster. He was huge. He said, Alan, I'm going to tell you what I did. He said, when the enemy came, he said, I slapped magazine, my M16. I ducked down inside the foxhole, and I just pulled the trigger until it stopped shaking. I'd pull it out, stick another one. I'd just pull trigger until it stopped shaking. I was like, Sergeant Gayard, you're an honest man. But I remember my platoon sergeant after that when I was in Europe. The guy had decorations and a limp. Decorations and a limp. Another guy asked me, he goes, hey, you have this medal. How'd you get it? I said, tell me how you got yours. He goes, well, that limp I got, we got hit, shrapnel, whatever. Most of it's still in my backside, but 
doctor said, we don't need to get it out. I was like, really? He goes, what'd you get yours for? I said, you don't want to know, because <laughs> it wasn't from combat. You see, the guys who really did things, they didn't talk about it. You had to draw it out. But the guys that talked about it all the time, this here, can I say this deadline here is, is memories of a victorious past can become an excuse for a lazy future. And I see it in Baptist circles all the time. It's like, I used to do this. I used to walk with God. I used to go to church. I used to read my Bible. I used to be faithful to share the gospel. I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to. But the reality is the past has become an excuse for a lazy present. I had the privilege of being in a conference a few years ago with a pastor of what used to be, I guess we're talking about used to be, used to be one of the largest Baptist churches in the entire country. And this guy's predecessors were known for their great soul winning stories. And one of the deacons from that church had come all the way across the country just to hear his pastor preach and to take care of him. And I was with that deacon, and I was like, hey, I have heard great things about your pastor. I mean, I've heard that, you know, everything that's happened there, he's just, he's an awesome guy. And he said, brother, let me tell you this. He said, I was deacon under his two predecessors. He said, they were full of stories. He said, you want to know the difference between this pastor's story and the two preachers that were before him? He said, the difference is this pastor right here in front of you right now, his stories are from this week. And last week, their stories were from 20 years ago. It's good to have a past and things that you can look back on and you've seen victories in life. But guess what? God doesn't go like, whoa, let's win this big battle and then we'll just sit back and we'll all sit around and kick a boy and pull him story. Remember when we did that? Remember when we did that? No, no, no. God is a now God. That victory then is something to, to think, we did that. Let's, let's do this. What can we do now? That's why I say God has us here during a pandemic to do what? I don't know. We can't do the same things we used to do. What do you want us to do right here, God? Because this is what we have now. Let's do this. And if 2022, just everything goes away, all the restrictions disappear, hit it harder than we ever hit it before. Have youth camp again and one-to-one on the weekends and opportunities and holding conferences and getting people in. I want to I see evangelistic citywide crusade kind of things. I just want to see us getting after it if those things open up. But if they don't, God, what do you want us to do? Because he's not a yesterday God. He doesn't say just sit down and go, well, I think we'll just wait and see. Paul says that in Philippians 3. He said, the things from before, what things were gained to me, I counted them lost for Christ. He said, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I want to know him. And he, and he ends with verse 13 and 14. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't reached my goal. Good night. He's writing this at the end of his ministry. He said, I still haven't reached it yet. I have not apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Another conference I was in years ago. This was years ago. I met a missionary that heard his name for years from the Philippines. <clears throat> Everybody had talked about, this guy is amazing. You just have to hear him. So when I meet him, yep, there he is. He's that tall. He's not overweight. So he obviously hadn't been a Baptist very long. But he's, he's just a little guy. And when you talk to him, he just it was like talking to anybody. But the pastor got up and he said, 
church for this conference. We flew this guy in from the Philippines. We wanted him to encourage us with what God's let them do and how many churches they've started. And he said, I'm just going to have to be honest with you. He won't tell me. He said, I, I said, give me a ballpark. And he said, brother, I, I really don't know how many churches we've started. And we're talking about started and they're going and those churches have started churches and whatever. And the pastor, the pastor said this. He said, guys, I love this guy even more because of this. When I asked him the third time, please tell me how many churches, Bible colleges, and everything you guys have started there in the Philippines, he said, Pastor, I'm telling you, I don't know, but I can tell you this. We just had this whole section of a city open up to us, and we've sent four preachers in there, and they're trying to get a church started here. And this town over here, it's a small town, but it has a lot of influence. We have been able to get in there, and we're just getting started there, and we're doing evangelism in these three other villages. The pastor said, I called his church in the Philippines, got a hold of somebody in charge, and said, how many churches have been started in the last 20 years? And the number was like 80. And like two or three Bible colleges that are with a lot of students. And he goes, he said, I honestly believe this missionary does not know. Because he's not looking over his shoulder going, you know, we've done this. I think we can pretty much call it a day. He's like, no, there's another city right there. There's another town right there. There's more people right here. And as a church, if we keep staring at our belly buttons, we're not going to get anything done. We just got this dead lion. I was down in the snowy pit. I killed me that lion. Ooh, look at the scars. Forget the snowy pit lion. What's next? God, where are we? How can we? Because I want to be found faithful when Jesus comes. I want, to be, I want to be doing what he wants me to do. Now, you know, can I say this and I move on to the next point? If you're limited in your health, you're limited in your abilities of what you can do. God's not asking you to do that great thing that you see somebody else who's got all the health and everything to do it. You know what he's asking you to do? What you can do. Amen. All of us can be praying. All of us can be asking God to do great things for his glory. Magnify your name, God, through our, our people, through our church, through the churches in our city that are faithfully preaching the gospel. Don't limit it to us. If we do, we're going to be in trouble. God, we just want to see your glory. And we can, all of us can be involved in that. Which brings me to my last deadline. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Another famous Sunday school story. But most people don't notice there's a dead lion in it. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David and the big fat Philistine Goliath. David and Goliath. Okay, he wasn't fat. He was big. And you, you know all the things about it. David wants to go and his dad sends him with food for his brothers. And he comes and he sees the Philistines on one side of the valley and the Israelites on the other side of the valley and they've been in a standoff for a long time and so the Philistines sent their their champion out Goliath of Gath and he's out there cursing Israel cursing Israel's gods send somebody come on come on I'll tell you what if you guys fight me fight me alone if you win you win if I win we win and nobody will go and you know David David shows up and he's like hey how come nobody's fighting and they're like, well, it's not because there's not a good pay for it. The king said he'll let you marry his daughter and your whole family will be tax-free. Something about taxes in the Bible. 
It's like, this, it doesn't get any better. And David's like, you mean nobody wants to try to get that? And they're like, that is one large gorilla out there. I am not going out there with him. And so David passes the word around, I'll go. Now, I don't think he's a boy. We try to paint him as a boy. I, I, I'd put him in the 17 to 20-year-old age group. So he's at that point where he's indestructible, right? This is why soldiers are always 17 to 25. They're indestructible. They just, nothing can hurt me. And David does have that mentality, but he's got more than that. Verse 32, David said to Saul, said to the king, let no man's heart fail because of this Philistine. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. You are just a boy, young man. This guy has been a soldier since he was a young man. He's been fighting a long time. And David says this, verse 34, David said to Saul, thy servant, me, David, kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Now, if there's any question about which kind of animal he's talking about he just killed, it's the lion. Because bear, bear looks like beard, but it doesn't have a beard. The lion has that hair. He grabbed the lion. Like you, you know, but grab it at the wrong end? He grabbed it right by its mouth, took the lamb out of its mouth, and when it tried to kill him, he said, I killed him. I slew him. Verse 36, thy servant, me, David said, slew the, both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. He'll be just like a dead lion and a dead bear, seeing he has defied, defied the armies of the living God. And get what he's saying, verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. You see, David's dead lion proved that memories of what God has done will build faith in what he can do. You don't lay back like Benaiah, and I don't think Benaiah laid back, but we don't lay back and look at our victories and say, we're done, that's all we need to do. No, we look back and we say, you know, God did this. All right, that was killing a lion. That's crazy. That's crazy amazing. Well, this next problem is not killing a lion. It's killing a giant. But you know what? The God that delivered me there can deliver me here. The God that made this thing possible during good times make it possible during pandemic times. It's just, how do you want to do it? You know, when David left, you're like, well, he picks up some stones in his sling. I don't, I don't know that David knows what he wants to do, how he wants to fight the Philistine until he's on the way down. He's just like, I'm just supposed to do this. David, David's experience in verse 35 of killing that only comes from walking with God. David knew it wasn't he that killed the lion because he admits it. It was the Lord. I had no strength. The only person I know of who ever killed lion was Benaiah and Samson, and it was God. And in verse 36, he has vision based on his experience. If God could do that, God can do this. And I want to be involved in what God is doing based on what God has done. And so verse 37, he expresses his faith, the Lord that delivered me will deliver me. My faith is he did this, he will do this. Living faith 
Living faith. It is, it is in short supply in Christianity. Hey. Believing God. Because we get, we get the pandemic globally has made everybody pull back and just, we'll just be here. Well, maybe we had to during some shutdowns, but when the shutdowns are over, I think there's too many people still sitting down. We'll, we'll really see after the holidays how many people are packing these buses and you poor drivers are going to be trying to figure out how do I get all 37 people in a 15-seater if those of you that are listening today on the video are going to do that. You see, we've got to remember what God has done in the past, not just at Capital City Baptist Church, but in your heart and in your life. He wants to do more. He wants us to draw near to him. If you're not a believer, know this. He has saved billions of people. Billions of people. Many worse than you. He wants to save you. He has delivered Christians for 2,000 years of church history. He will deliver you. But what he wants you to do is put faith in him. And your faith, you're like, I have no, nothing I can fall back on. Then fall back on promises from the word. But those of you that have been walking with the Lord a few years, you begin to see those promises. And you're like, God, you took care of us here. You did this here. I'm going to trust you to take care of it right here. Because you're still the same God. I hope you realize that when you pray, you are praying to the same God David prayed to. It wasn't like they don't change out gods every five years with a general election. It's the same God. It's the same Holy Spirit that came in at Pentecost. The same Holy Spirit that worked throughout the ministry of Paul is the same Holy Spirit living in you and I right now. The same Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for our sins. He's still the same one that you call upon to be saved. It is the same one. But without faith, you cannot please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. David believed that. David's like, the Lord that delivered me out of the hand of the paw of the lion and the bear, he will deliver me from this Philistine. And so we, looking at others' faith, we need to do it. Now, what are we going to do? I can say this. We lost a lot of family and friends this year. I don't think anyone is untouched. And I'm talking about they actually passed this year. We didn't see it coming. We thought we'd dodge the bullet in 2020. We thought, well, you'd be PNG. Praise God. But something, it was different. And we don't know what's going to come. We don't know who of our number will even be here at the end of the next year. But focusing on one thing, knowing Christ. If you know Christ, you can assure your family, I'm okay. I'm good. If you know Christ, you can tell your loved ones, it's okay. I can go. I'm ready to go. But if you don't know that, what what assurance do you have? Unsaved? Are you dealing like Samson? You got some unconfessed or unforsaken sin? As a Christian, is your heart where it used to be? Have you left your first love? Not lost it, but left it? Walked away from it? I'm going to encourage you in all of those manners as we talk about dead lions. Those are memories. Those are memories. And they either drag us down, cause us to be lazy, or they make us, you know what, we did this, we can do more. I, I want to challenge us as a church. It's our last Sunday service of 2021. Don't let the dead lions be a distraction. Let them be something that makes us move forward. Our problem isn't a busy problem it's a belief problem and we just need to learn to believe God 
Let's bow for prayer and we will be dismissed. As we get ready to pray this morning with heads bowed, I want to ask a question before I pray, a couple of questions. Do you know for sure that you're born again? No one looking around, just me. I just want to ask the question to pray for you. Do you know for sure that you're born again? Suppose Christ come today, die, boom, you, mew, or one M. Do you know for sure that your heart is right with God, that your faith in Jesus? It's not your faith that's going to save you. It's his, his faithfulness. Is there anyone here you would just slip your hand up? Say, Papa John, would you, would you pray for me? Would you remember me? I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? I don't know for sure. Know this, that after the service, Brother Eric, Brother Phil and I are available. Others are here available. Brother Glenn, Brother Joe, they can share the word with you. Christian, I saw that God's touched some hearts and minds this morning. In your heart, even as I get ready to pray right now, confess that sin and say, God, I want to fight. I want to fight against it. I want to forsake it. I want to walk with Jesus. And for all of us, can I say, let's make this a deadline year for remembering what God did and begging him to do more. Thank you so much, Father, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to worship together. Thank you for your people. God, today, I pray that you'll take your words and plant them in our heart. I pray you would increase our faith through your word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. God, would you let your word work effectually in our hearts. And for anyone who does not know Jesus as their savior, they have no assurance of the hour of tomorrow. God, I pray, I pray, God, that they'd open their heart right now and put their faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for this year you gave us. May we use the next few days of this year for your glory. And Lord, may you grant us vision in our hearts for what you want to do coming into the new year. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Brother Phil had uh, mentioned about Pastor and Sister Becky not having quarantine. Let's hope that holds. And um, they're doing well. I actually saw them face-to-face yesterday. So pray, too, about the, uh, the building project because what is the date we have to be out of here, Brother Eric? <laughs> 2023, yeah. <laughs> now we need to close in walls for the classrooms. But anyway... It's, it's going to be exciting. But I, I, I love what God's done in the pandemic. We've not seen it go backwards here. And so I'm praying that 2022 we can get restrictions lifted and we can start packing the place out again and start packing that out. God bless you guys. Drivers, thank you so much for your work, bringing people. Have a wonderful week and early Happy New Year.